0: This is Charlotte Donlin and you're listening to Hope for the Lonely. Learn more about my first book, The Great Belonging, and my other writing and work at CharlotteDonlin.com. I'm so glad to have Jason Gabriel on this episode of Hope for the Lonely. Jason is here to talk to us about meeting God in loneliness and his new book, Wait With Me. Jason is a regional ministry director with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. He's also an Anglican friar with the Anglican Order of Preachers. He has contributed to a number of books, including Drama Team Handbook. He and his wife, Sophia, live in New York City with their two children. Welcome, Jason. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of Hope for the Lonely.
1: Oh, yeah. It's my pleasure to be here.
0: Um, I start every episode, well, most episodes, asking my guests how they define loneliness and belonging. So can you share with us your definition of loneliness?
1: Oh, sure. That's a great question. And uh, especially now that we're all sort of social distancing with COVID-19, I think there's a real difference between loneliness and social isolation. Uh, Social isolation has to do with the amount of relationships and social connections that you have um, so and you can measure that strong connections or weak connections um, somebody who lives alone and you know in a stage of life where they're far away from children or family might have a weaker social connection than someone who is in the midst of children and community and etc so um so that has to do with your social connection or isolation uh, loneliness is different though loneliness is the gap between the social connectedness that you feel and the social connectedness that you want to feel mm. and so it, it it's the it's it, it's a way of describing longing i think uh, and so loneliness is that longing between how connected I feel to the people around me or to, do I feel to other people with whom I'm in relationship and what's my desire for that? Um, so yeah, I think that's a helpful distinction. It is possible of course, to be on your own and experiencing solitude, and not experiencing loneliness and, right, to be sur- right. and to be surrounded by people and feel quite lonely. And so one of the things that's important to remember is anybody can experience loneliness and most of us do.
0: Great. Thanks for sharing that. those definitions. And I, I agree that those are two different things um, with regards to isolation and loneliness. So how do you define belonging? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I love the way you define belonging in terms of belonging to ourselves, belonging to God, and belonging to each other. I thought, "Wow, what a great, what a great way to define or describe belonging." So, um, I'll just steal from you and uh, and use that definition because I think it's really good.
0: Great, thanks. <laughs> well, I'll let you steal from me. Um... I mean when you think about how we relate to ourselves others and God I just substituted the word belonging there so
1: for sure I, I, and I, you know my my guess is that belonging has to do with the sense that you are seen known loved and valued and if you if you feel seen known loved and valued then you feel like you belong and that's why it's so important that we are able to accept, see, love, know, accept ourselves. And it's why it's so important for us to be seen, known, and accepted by God, loved and accepted by God, and uh, other people as well.
0: Yeah, I like that Um, also. Okay, so I read your book um, last week, this past week. Mm-hmm. And I'm really excited for people to, um, be able to buy it and read it in the coming days. So it's mm-hmm. the original publication date was in May, right? But that's right. some people will be receiving it early. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yes. Uh, the official publication date is May 19th, and that's when it will be available on Amazon and at a bookstore near you should Bookstores near you, be open. Um, But uh, because of the timeliness of the topic, and uh, as people are in this season of social isolation or social distancing, rather, uh, and the relevant topic of loneliness, InterVarsity Press decided that they would do sort of a soft launch and make the book available uh, starting next week. So we're almost there. So if, if people go to uh, if they order it from Amazon, they have to wait another month. But if you go, if you get it from InterVarsity Press, you can get it starting next week.
0: Great. Great. And I will have a couple of copies to give away to listeners. You can check my Instagram account for more information on that. My Instagram account is at Charlotte Donlin, all one word. And again, the title of his book is Wait With Me, Meeting God in Loneliness. And um, i uh, I really appreciate your approach to the topics um, that you wrote about, and I appreciate how you incorporate um, Scripture and direct your readers to turn to um, God's Word while exploring the topics of loneliness. Um, I think that's probably my favorite um, thing about your book is that it helped me connect um, with the truths of God with regard to my experiences of loneliness and to you know different stories from the bible and and that kind of thing. So hmm. thank you.
1: Oh, yeah. Glad you read it and yeah, enjoyed it.
0: So in an early chapter you write about the pressure to perform and succeed and how that affects our sense of loneliness. Um I have personally heard a lot of friends who work with college students talk about this and how this has worsened in maybe the past five or so years. Um, Can you describe how you've seen this play out in some of the college students that you've worked with? And do you have any specific examples you can share of what this looks like, um, like a real-life example of that?
1: (sighs) sure well uh to broaden it even beyond students i i'm a new yorker i live in new york city which is uh i think frank sinatra really understood something important about new york uh my i have a family my family is kind of broadly connected to New York, um, an Italian community in New York. And at every wedding and funeral and every event the family gets together, we listen to Frank Sinatra's New York, New York. And the line from that is, you know, if, you, if I can make it there, I can make it anywhere. It's up to you, New York, New York. I, I think he understands something about the psyche of New Yorkers, but also about a lot of people, no matter what, what part of the country you're in. Uh, that we as uh, perhaps Americans, uh, North Americans, or uh, people who live in the United States, have this drive to succeed, uh, this drive to um, compete, to succeed, to do well. Uh, And uh, I think that that can cut us off from uh, our attentive, uh, our ability to connect well with ourselves, to the ability to connect well with other people. Uh, the story I tell in the book is a story of of, of my uh, college roommate, one of my uh, college roommates, whose just ambition to succeed uh, really, in the end, ended up costing him very dearly, uh, because he was never though he attained great professional success he was not able to experience the kind of interpersonal connections, the ability to be seen, to be known, to be loved that he really longed for. And over the 20 years I've been working with college students and young adults and older adults in New York City, I've just seen it over and over again. People come to here to college, they come here to work, and the belief is I'm just going to give my all to my job i'm going to give my all to my studies i'm going to work as hard as i can so that i can get whatever the the next rung of achievement is and in the process uh, their social connections with other people diminish considerably um, their their restlessness as i think one of the ways that loneliness is expressed is restlessness um and so if we're not feeling connected to other people we feel restless and it's very easy if you are somebody who is uh, a college student who's struggling to get that next internship or that next place in your academic life or if you're an analyst who's trying to get the next place in your career um, it's so easy to take the restlessness that you feel from uh, trying to succeed uh, or we, but the restlessness is actually coming from loneliness and then you just plow that into your uh, professional life your academic life and the the sad part is it works for a while uh, it works uh you know you do find that energy helps you to succeed but ultimately you re- you recognize oh um i don't have the relational life that I want. I, I'm not. I'm not connected. I don't feel seen. I don't feel known. I don't feel loved. And in some ways, Charlotte, this was my story. Um, when when I when I got the book was really started out of a uh, conversation that I had in spiritual direction with a a, uh, a Jesuit friar in his mid 70s. And uh, at the time, if he had looked at my life, he wouldn't have said. You know, this is a guy who's got uh, weak social connections. You know, you need to make more friends. I had young kids at home; our house was filled with play doh and playdates. Uh, I, Sophie and I, uh, ministry together and do and uh, were parenting together, so we were together a lot. Uh, I was overseeing at the time in our church that we sort of have a network of smaller groups that meet week to week and. Uh, for fellowship and connections and these kinds of things. I was even seen in our church community as somebody who's kind of an expert at, uh, at building community. And I'd have and I, I would have these moments where I'd have thirty people over, and we'd have dinner together. We'd have conversation after dinner. We'd pray together. We'd have this great community experience, and everybody would go home and I'd be standing at my dish, I'd be standing washing dishes. And I would just feel like nobody gets me. Mm. Uh, I I don't I don't feel seen. I don't feel known. I don't feel loved. I feel alone. I feel lonely. And so, um, so I think a lot of and I one of the things that that Father Ugo helped me to see is I had been directing the restlessness of my loneliness into ministry, into activity, into things that had to do with being with people, but I wasn't able you know to succeed. Um, But ultimately, that stopped working, Uh, and I had to deal with the fact that underneath it, I was still lonely.
0: Um, When you realized that loneliness was um, part of the problem or part of what you were experiencing, um, what changes did you make with your work and with your desire to succeed? And what, I mean, if possible, can you tell us a little bit about what a healthy biblical view of ambition might look like um, with regard to our work in ways that won't necessarily lead to loneliness.
1: Sure. Those are great questions. Um, So I think what I'm trying to do in the book is I'm trying to And what happened for me in this process was I started looking at my loneliness. Instead of looking at it as something to overcome, I started looking to it as a context in which to know God. And and this is really important to me because if you press me, if you say, Jason, what's really important to Jason really all the way down, uh, the clearest I can get to what really makes me tick is a deep desire to know God and then to live in, in such a way that other, I can help other people to know God. And that's, what's important to me all the way down. And so what I discovered was that loneliness, uh, this loneliness that I was experiencing became instead of something to try to overcome or something to, um, to avoid, it's one of the things that Father Hugo said to me early on. He said, you could look to me or you could look to something else or you could look to religion even to take your loneliness away or you could see it as the beginning of, of God's life, of God's work in you, of, of, of a new thing that God would be doing, uh, a way to build friendship with God. And so, um, so what I hope uh, people have as they engage the book is – They'll be able to name their loneliness and say, okay, I can name this. This is okay. Uh, I can, I can say this is what this is. And I think that's actually really important because, you know, you know, and I know when you say to somebody, you see somebody and say, how are you doing? Uh, Nobody ever says, oh, thanks for asking. I'm really lonely today. Uh, Because loneliness is, is a very, um, it's an emotion we feel very vulnerable to even share and sometimes afraid to even name. And so I hope that that the book gives people permission to name that restless feeling that they're experiencing on the inside as loneliness, uh, which I think is a big change. And then the second thing I hope that that the book does is help people, help those who read it to see their loneliness as an opportunity to build friendship with God. In, 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 and I, I, I don't want to suggest by that that If you're you're just friends with God, then then it will take loneliness away in some kind of uh, sense. You know, some kind of like, now you'll feel better and you'll never have to experience loneliness again. But rather to say, um, I named this as loneliness and I see how I can use this loneliness to bring me into uh, a primary relationship. You know, as you talk about belonging, belonging to yourself, belonging to God, belonging to others, you could use loneliness as a way to drive you towards belonging to God and belonging to yourself and ultimately belonging to others. And and so some practical ways to do that with ambition, for example, is uh, I don't don't think it's wrong to be ambitious. Uh, uh, the character that we we look at in this story of scripture uh, in in that chapter around ambition is the character of Jacob. And uh, Jacob's name literally means grabber. Uh, And it's this kind of this fascinating story because Jacob spends most of his life trying to grab after things that will make him feel secure. So he grabs after his brother's Birthright, he grabs after his brother's blessing. He grabs after uh, the women he wants when he, you know, in exile. He grabs after uh, the best possible uh, wages, and, you know, acquiring wealth and family. And then at the kind of the pivotal moment in Jacob's story, the transformational moment, he he's, the thing that he's grabbing onto is this mysterious uh divine visitor in the middle of the night and finally for the first time in jacob's life he's taking all of that ambition all of that desire uh, all of that drive and he's he's u- he's using it to really grapple with and wrestle with the presence of god and i think that that is that that's the transformative moment for him his name gets changed he ends up spending the rest of his life with a limp, but he goes from being somebody whose orientation in the world is primarily about grasping and grabbing to one whose, whose final actions and actions uh, in the rest, the second part of his life, second half of life are about blessing or moving towards being a blessing to other people. And so, um, so I think uh, you can find uh, you, you one can uh, be ambitious in various parts of life. Uh, the encouragement in the book is to bring that ambition into your friendship with God, to bring that drive and to interrogate it a little bit. Uh, what is it that you're real? That's really driving you. Uh, for for some for some of us, um, well, like like for me, let's just you know for, for in my story, I realized in the process. Uh, with my own ambition, the thing I was really hungry for was a dad who would say, "I'm proud of you." And if you are hungry for that, and longing for that, and driven by that, it will drive it will it will drive you to the end of yourself. Um, and and but then to discover, oh, that's what I really want. Is that something I can get from? From my earthly dad, I, maybe, maybe not. Is that something I can get in my life with God? Yes, I can get that. Okay, now I'm, I, I understand myself a little bit more. I understand my life with God a little bit more. I'm free to. I still have energy, but I'm free to approach my work uh, without that same kind of need. That's yes. probably a long answer to your question. But. No, that's
0: a great. I appreciate that. And I really loved that um that chapter with Jacob's story. And it, it makes me think about my own um vocation as a writer and spiritual director. And um I think a lot of writers struggle with you know what what is okay with regard to success. Like what What is okay? Like, is it okay to be ambitious and to want to get a book deal and publish a book and like people buy the book and read it? Like, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? And, you know, especially for Christians. And um, so it made me think about that a lot and how I think one thing that drives me to write is my sense of differentness, which now I know that is one way I experience loneliness and I have looking back, I can see how writing has been in the past, and probably I'll struggle with it in the future, is me grasping for some kind of connection through my writing. But if I think about um, how my loneliness and that desire for not being different or fe- being seen in my differentness, how God meets me in that, and God sees me, and even though I may feel different from all these other kind of people or whatever, God sees me and knows me. And, and I totally relate with how, like when I'm resting in that place, I see my writing as, and the things I write as something that might be able to help others, or it might be able to bless other people, or they might be able to read it and be like, yeah, I feel the same way. Like, now I don't feel as different. And so it does take away that sense of grasping when I, rest in God meeting me in my loneliness so I love that I love that example with Jacob and I definitely relate to it um, in that one way at least (laughs) Um, okay another chapter that I liked a lot was um, where you wrote about Elijah's experiences of loneliness Um, without giving away the whole chapter (laughs) can you summarize (laughs) it a bit and um and describe how Elijah experiences um, loneliness and maybe even describe a situation where knowing that story and how God um, met Elijah has ministered to you in your own life.
1: Mm, yeah, sure giving away not giving away the whole chapter um. Is, is challenging oh, well i i i really lean i lean on the words of uh ron rollheiser who's a, a spiritual writer that i really just appreciate he talks about restlessness as loneliness and um and uh and there's this he describes it as this kind of desire for more of everything uh <laughs> it's just you know, And, uh, so in the story of Elijah, you have this incredible, um, there's all kinds of layers of this story that I think are relevant for today. There's, there's a deep sort of political drama that's being played out between Elijah and the King and Queen. Uh, and there's this sort of Elijah appears in this story as this, you know, kind of anti anti kingly, you know, sort of authority who speaks for God and is really bold and is and is sort of uh, ready to confront the the powers that be. I mean, he's he's sort of a you know he's he's sort of an activist and he's sort of a a a, a, a holy man sort of mixed together, and he's this kind of powerful personality that that he has. Uh, and yet, uh, after his greatest victory, and uh, he, you know, he's, he, there's been this drought because Elijah said, you know, this it's not going to rain. He, there's this whole context and reason why the rain is really important, which has to do with the the uh, the God that he's kind of the god the gods and the political systems that are in play but anyway uh so there's been this drought and he has this showdown with these other prophets the prophets of this other god and he wins you know he's one prophet against 300 prophets and the the um the contest the showdown is decisive elijah wins the day and not only does elijah win the day the prophets are destroyed the you know and the 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 nation looks like it's going to return to its god and and no sooner has this happened but then the rains come and you know it seems like everything's going to be great but then uh the very next very next part of the story is, uh, Elijah gets a threat from the queen that the the queen wants to put him to death and he becomes despondent and totally depressed and, you know, kind of flees for his life into the desert. It's really interesting because, you know, when I was growing up or heard these stories when I was younger, kind of, in faith, I sort of would think of Elijah as a superhero type, you know, he's kind of like this, this um, person who gets to do all this cool stuff for God and seems to know God in this really unique way. Uh, But it's, it's strange to me. How could, why is it that someone who was so bold, so combative, so confrontational calling the whole kingdom to uh, turn back to God could become despondent over one threat. And it made me start to wonder, like, what what's going on under the surface of Elijah's life that one threat can undo him? And it helped me to see there's this, underneath Elijah's uh, kind of boldness, there is this restlessness, uh, this this thing that is driving him uh that that is unable to deal with and to to absorb this sort of this piece of resistance and suddenly as elijah then running away takes this trip into the desert and you see his despondency which is of course the other side of his grandiosity Uh, you see his his self-pity uh, which is uh, kind of the other side of his pride. You see this um, this restlessness for uh, that he seems to have to try to want to control the, his environment and uh, and to ex- exert power and and dominance and you know control his control the outcomes and uh, and that gets. That gets revealed uh, in this very quiet journey that he goes on into the wilderness and, um, and so he it, it's this really kind of beautiful thing, and at the end, the thing that Elijah has to do is he has to listen. Uh, he has to listen deeply uh, to what the the scriptures describe as the, the sound of sheer silence. You know and 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 the Lord appears to Elijah, he appears to him, not there's an earthquake, but the Lord's not in the earthquake. There's a fire, the Lord's not in the fire. There's the sound of wind, mighty rushing wind. All the Lord is not in the wind. And up before this point, all of those things, the, the fire, the wind, the shaking earth, all of those things were places where in the story of God up to that point, those are places where you would expect to meet God. And God's not in any of those things. And then uh, what uh, Elijah has to listen to, the, sh- the sound of sheer silence. And that's where God is. And, and you know, what ha- a lot happens when we listen. Um, when we listen for the deepest longings of our hearts. When we listen to what is really true. Um, when we listen for, we create enough space where we can listen past the noise of our culture, past the noise of our inner life, past the noise of our environments, and really attentively listen. Uh, in fact, I quote the the Rule of Saint Benedict, the, fir- the first rule of uh, the first line of the Rule of Saint Benedict, this famous monastic rule. The first lot, the first word is listen. Listen Listen to my instructions. Listen attentively. And uh, what St. Benedict seemed to know and what Elijah seemed to learn before him was that listening unmasks the restlessness within and enables us to then be present, to bring, be present to ourselves, be present to God, and then ultimately be present to others in a healthy way. So...
0: Yeah, I, I've actually been thinking about um, with regards to our quarantine situation right now, um, how many of us are in our homes, um, our jobs are not how they were before, um, our relationships are not how they were, like everything has been changed. Some of us, not all of us, have had more time to sit in the silence and listen. And Mm. I've actually wondered, well, and many of us have had to slow down, um, Mm -hmm. not our healthcare providers, but others. Um, And I'm wondering if people are listening and they are maybe for the first time recognizing some of their restlessness and loneliness Mm -hmm. um, like right now, like in the last several weeks and, maybe they haven't named it yet and maybe they're trying to figure out like, what is this restlessness and what is this loneliness I'm feeling? Um, so do you have any thoughts on that? On like how all of this might be playing out right now in our current situation? Oh
1: yeah. I love that question. It's a great question. Yeah. Um, it- because I absolutely think it's true uh, in intervarsity. I wrote a short article uh, about spiritual disciplines for a season of social distancing, uh, spiritual disciplines for a season of crisis. And I did, I, I, I uh, there were two things, it, spiritual disciplines that that stood out and seemed to really resonate with people. One was pray your rage. Um, and uh, it just, what's, what's true in a moment of, of like this rage is inevitable, uh, and some people think that rage is antithetical to the spiritual life. And uh, I don't think so at all. Uh, I think um, what we do with rage is what's antithetical to the spiritual life. But rage itself, if we can learn to pray it, uh, that's why I love the Psalms. And I love praying the Psalms because you have these Psalms where um, where the Psalmist is clearly raging against uh, it, you know, clearly just let, break the teeth of the wicked. You know, that's not a nice thing to say. Uh, and it doesn't show up in any of our churches. You know, we don't tend to like, now we're going to sing this song, you know, <laughs> Lord, break the teeth of the wicked, you right. know, but it's, it's a, it's, it's a legit prayer. Uh, it's, 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 you, you pray your rage and if you pray your rage, what's so good about that is if you pray your rage, then you're free to, to not have to, uh, translate it into hate, uh, translate it into distance. Uh, you can, you can release it and you can, you you can be, you can be transformed in that process. So that one got a lot of traction, but the other one was, um, and I, I have this in the disciplines that uh, I, I shared with you as well, but uh, it's it's a discipline I call sit, uh, and it's can you just sit in a chair for five minutes and do nothing else but bring your attention, all of your attention and energy uh, to the fact that you are seen and known and loved by God?
0: Mm.
1: Uh, can you just sit in a chair and let God love you? whatever your work situation is right now whatever your living situation is right now no matter how you feel about what's happening in the world if you can take just one minute two minutes five minutes and sit and listen then um, there's life on the other side of that because so many of us are exhausted. Uh, just the pace of change. And if you, if you're engaged in any, um, information, what, you know, in New York city, uh, we're upwards of 10,000, maybe even 12,000 people have died, uh, in the last couple of weeks. I mean, it's, this, you know, this is, uh, easily five times more people than died 9-11, 2001. This is, this is no small thing, uh and it's heavy and it's, and you know, you've got uh, in our case, you've got the governor and the mayor and the president all saying different things to each other and about each other. And it's, it's exhausting. uh, Just to try to keep up with it. Well, you know, what if you sit, what if you listen, you know, what if you just attend to what's going on in my heart and, and, and say, I'm just gonna sit in this chair and let God love me if I lost my job. Uh, I'm just gonna sit in this chair and let God love me for five minutes. And I'm going to release the sense of failure or vulnerability or whatever. Uh, My kids are driving me nuts. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just gonna sit in this chair for five minutes and let God love me and bring my fears about, am I being a good enough parent? Am I doing the right things? you know, uh, I'm just going to bring my fears about health or the, the loved ones I have who are sick. I'm just going to sit in this chair for five minutes and let God love me. And you see, just even doing that uh, in increases your capacity to uh, be present to yourself, be present to God, and be present to other people. So, so uh, those two things really invaluable, uh, in this time, especially. And cause I think you're right. I think I, I, I don't think it's necessarily, a uh, I don't think it's necessarily the case that it's going to be a foredrawn conclusion. People are going to listen to themselves themselves well in this time. And right. but I think there's huge opportunity.
0: Yeah. And one thing I thought about while you were describing those two spiritual practices, um, praying our rage and sitting <laughs> for five minutes—it's um, something that we can all do, even if we disagree with each other, even if we feel lonely, even if we aren't—we don't feel lonely. Um, if we are Republicans or Democrats or something else, like it, it I feel like these spiritual practices might help us belong to each other more
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, does that make sense like if we're all yeah. able to pray our rage mm-hmm. instead of tweeting it or in my case emailing my dad about it and mm-hmm. arguing with him about different things um you know if I imagine my dad and I both praying our rage like that connects us and it helps me feel less isolated from him or less you know not as different from him. Um, these are things that we all have in common. These are things that can be good and true and beneficial for all of us.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Absolutely.
0: Um, and along with the benefits of that those practices bring us um, with regard to our relationship with God— also, and each other and ourselves. Okay, so in your book, you talk about a few different desert experiences and how we are transformed by those. Um, I really appreciate how you um, show this in Scripture and how God transforms people in the midst of their desolation. Can you talk a bit about that, and about how God might transform us in our desert experiences, whether it's with our quarantine or illness or, or any other experiences we might, um, have, um, known in the past or, or in the future.
1: Yeah, um, that's great. <clears throat> the desert is one of those, this is one of those archetypical sort of experiences in the spiritual life of, of any type. And what the desert does is the desert strips away things. It strips away the things that you think you need. Uh, to live healthy, and to live free. Um, And, um, and the desert sort of pulls that away, pulls away all that is not essential. And um, so in a time like, uh, so in a time like this, you know, a lot is being stripped away. And what I don't mean by that is, you know, we do have real needs. People are experiencing vulnerability right now. So if your listeners are like, I just lost my job, you know, I, I've just been told I'm a non-essential worker. Mm. Uh, you know, like I, I'm not talking about that as a desert. Um, but what I mean is the desert is that place where you discover you think that you need something uh, you need something to uh, to be okay, and the desert sort of strips that away. And there's a number of ways we go to the desert. Um, now, in the early church, the the third century, people went to the desert intentionally to kind of get away and to be and to sort of have that purging experience. But um, in the story of a of a person like Hagar, uh, who's the the, the woman who I uh, write about, who has this experience, she's driven into the desert by injustice. It's absolutely clear that uh it's not her fault. she's in the desert uh, it, but she's there nevertheless, and the that desert stripping away of of uh, her um, stripping away of of her connections of her. Uh, of everything, really, uh, to the point of incredible vulnerability, uh, actually elevates her in some pretty in some pretty interesting ways. Um, she is the first person in the Book of Genesis to to name God, uh, which I think is just so fascinating. Uh, you know, because Moses's uh, question to God this comes actually much later. Moses' first question to God is, What's your name? And uh it was Hagar, an Egyptian slave, who several chapters in the story of God earlier, who actually is the first person to name God. She names God after encountering God in the desert, uh, having been stripped uh having been stripped of uh uh, a lot of uh, her having been stripped of uh, and experienced that purging experience. And, um, and she, she sees, she names God as the God who sees her. Uh, and then she goes to the desert a second time and she, uh, she, it seems like the God who sees her isn't, isn't going to really take care of her. Uh, and, and yet uh, even, you know, even at a lower point of desolation and despair. Uh, she meets God. And, and, and my experience has been that the things the, the places and times in my in, in my life where I have felt like I just need this relationship or I just need this kind of success or I just need this I just need this graduate program or I just need this um, this kind of recognition. And once I have that, then I'll be I'll be okay. Um, uh, over and over and over again, the stripping away of those things um, is actually necessary it, uh, to experience a deeper, truer, more um, uh, more healthy life with God. And uh, and I see that that's true with other with in others as well and so um yeah ultimately the desert go goes from a place of being things being stripped away to a place of profound compassion you know there's this story about the desert a, a desert father and um the devil coming to this desert father and trying to uh trying to attack him in all of these other places and he can't but you know the the he can't attack him in any place. He says, "I don't understand how I can't attack you, and I do all the same things you do. You fast, I fast. You you uh, follow these aesthetic practices. I follow these. But how how is it that I have no power over you? And it in and then the devil realizes as he's talking to this uh, desert father he says, "It's because of your humility. It's because it's because the the desert has stripped you of." has stripped this this person of his pride, uh, has stripped this person of his need to assert himself, uh, to win the argument, to win the day, to uh, be perceived as holy, uh, whatever it is. And because of that, then this desert tradition is known for its being it's known for cultivating uh, a community of people who were able to love with extraordinary gener- generosity. Uh, because when you, are, when you are bound up in, in yourself, uh, trying to pursue what you think you need, you don't have the time or the space or the mental energy to love freely, to love well. Um, but when you are purged, when, you are, when the desert kind of strips away that stuff, um, we, we then become more free to love. And I think that was part of, uh, that was part of F- Father Hugo's uh, kind of secret kind of uh, agenda with me uh, in the process uh, that I write about in the book, is discovering compassion uh, in the process of learning to take loneliness to, into, as a context for a friendship with God, as, as a discovery of compassion. Compassion for myself compassion for God and and ultimately compassion for other people as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I can imagine, um, when we, or even I've experienced like when we have more compassion for ourselves and other people in God, we're less lonely because we're able to engage each other, um, from a place of wholeness and from a place of love. Um, so yeah, I, I really like that connection between compassion and loneliness. Um, Okay. So you talk a bit about social media in your book. Um, Can you tell us a bit about the connections between loneliness and social media use?
1: Sure. Um, Oh, well, what I do is, is just report the, And this this is one of those things that's hotly debated, right? Uh, And and it's sort of one of those things, is social media making us more lonely? Um, And I think the answer is a qualitative yes, is is kind of a qualified yes, but. Yes, it is. Uh, But some people uh, are able to actually build healthy relationships and community and connection over social media. So it is possible, but... to to use social media in a healthy way. But what we often overlook is the fact that that our technology is increasingly uh, manufactured according to what's called persuasive design. Uh, And um, Dr. Benjamin Fogg and others uh, are are working diligently to design machines that can change how we think and how we behave and can do it faster than we can adapt to it. So um, when someone, when a teenager, when when an uh, older adult, uh, has a need to touch their phone every few minutes, uh, has a buzz, and they can't not look at their phone, We are not using, and and we experience, you know, kind of screen addiction. When that's happening, we are using the technology the way it was designed. Uh, And so there are some studies that show you, you, um, Jonathan Hari in his book, uh, Lost Connections, talks about how, uh, depression, loneliness, and anxiety travel together. And so it, you, you can look at this social anxiety, uh, depression, uh, loneliness. They kind of hang out in the same quadrant of our experience together. And if you look at the trends of people who self-report uh, experiences of depression, loneliness, and anxiety, there's an incredible uptick uh, after 2008 – and what happened in two thousand eight that would cause such an uptick? Uh, well, two thousand eight was the year that the iPhone uh, became widely distributed, widely available. And what you're, what you can, now that doesn't prove correlate; it doesn't prove causation. The iPhone didn't make us lonely, but uh, uh, the 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 cur- when the curve that sell self-reporting isolation lon- loneliness. And depression, social anxiety, is following almost precisely the curve of the distribution chart of the iPhone. Then uh, there's something in this technology that's worth uh, some thoughtful resistance. Um, and so, and so, I think it is. I think it is very possible for us to. Um, I think it's very possible for, for some people to use this and all of us use this, these tools, but I think we need to use them aware that, that they're designed to make us addicted. Uh, they're designed to make us anxious. Uh, I mean, cause that's part of how addiction works is this kind of dop- dopamine cycle in our brains that uh, we have a pleasure and then we, it goes away and then we look back to the thing that gave us this pleasure before, because we start to feel anxious uh, when that goes away, and that's baked in uh, to the way this technology is designed. And so, uh, so we need to be, and it's especially hard now because everything, our whole, our whole relational life is mediated online now. Uh, so we are, we are especially vulnerable to types of um, to types of depression, anxiety, and loneliness, uh, that are, uh, f- that are correlated to the way our technology has been designed. And I just think we need to be
0: aware of that. Yeah. I love that point. Um, and maybe that might be one of the delineating factors of whether I'm able to, um, use social media in a way that doesn't make me lonelier or use it in a way that does make me lonelier is am i using it the way it was designed and my goal would be to not use it the way it's designed right <laughs> because that's where they're wanting us to be addicted and get in that dopamine loop um so i think i mean and i haven't studied that i have seen different studies of you know it's helpful for some people and it's helpful for I mean, it's not helpful for some. It causes more people to feel lonelier and other people to not feel as lonely depending on the study and depending on how the social media um, platforms are used by different people. But that point right there might be something (laughs) worth um, someone researching of where is loneliness happening more with social media when we are using technology the way it was designed. And it I mean, I imagine most of us are using it the way it's designed. It takes a lot of effort and energy and intentionality to not use it the way it's designed. Right. Right. (laughs) Um, and I mean, even with my experiences with social media, I enjoy it. I, I find great essays that I never would have read on Twitter if I wasn't on Twitter in that moment in that second and seeing that person post that one essay. Um, or I connect with someone who I might not have ever had a conversation with. Um, So I I'm torn with it. And then as a writer, you know, my publisher wants me on social media. I'm, I'm tempted to like throw it all away and never do it again. Um, But it's not an option. And then, like you said, um, they've woven it into some very necessary things. Like I'm part of a writing group And the only way or a writer's guild and the only way we are able to communicate right now is through a Facebook group, a private Facebook group. So, yeah, it's, it's complicated, (laughs) but I agree with you. I do think social media and technology has worsened the loneliness crisis or, or whatever has helped create what we face now, um, with the story,
1: the story I tell in the book is a story of addiction. And so we were at a conference with a group of students and we asked them to put their phones in a box for three hours. And you just watched students like, think you you're kidding me. Like you, I, I can't, what, I can't do this. Like, what, what what do you mean? Put my, put my phone away for three hours and you just watched the anxiety go up. And then you watched how people, um, you know how people reported after that time of having their phones you know in a safe location just away from them for a period of time uh and how they responded to it so it was just really fascinating so yeah we all are we are all addicted i think we need to assume that we're all addicted and um i i'm not a luddite in the sense of let's let's you know break it all up is at one level we have to use it. But I I do think there's something lurking here that we need to be very conscious of. Yeah. Um,
0: So. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I have no idea like what that, I mean, I, I I have some ideas of what that looks like and I try to actually practice some of those things. Um, And I think that's part of why it's so complicated is because it, the solution is probably more um, unique to each individual to a certain degree and something that we need to, you know, pray about and know what we are, what our own tendencies are. And it's not like we can necessarily read a book about, you know, 10 ways to use social media so you don't get lonely or lonelier um, because those 10 ways might be different depending on who you are, you know?
1: Absolutely. So,
0: I mean I wish everything was black and white with lists of questions, I mean lists of answers that will solve all of our problems and answer all of our questions, but
1: absolutely. It's
0: not always how it works. Absolutely. Um okay, well I really appreciate you um talking with us about loneliness and your book called wait with me meeting God in loneliness do you have anything else that you would like to share about the book or loneliness or belonging that we have not talked about yet sure
1: um, maybe two things one is that uh, I I put together a a almost two page, maybe one and a half page document, uh, for you and for your listeners, uh, of spiritual practices in seasons of loneliness. And so if, uh, for folks who are interested in that, they can, um, they can, maybe you could put that in the show notes or something, uh, so that people can have access to that and try some of the things that, um, that uh, i'm recommending there that i should mention those those spiritual practices aren't uh, directly in the book so they are they're sort of uh uh, supportive to the book uh, as well uh but just uh, but i i hope that they i I believe that they will be helpful for uh, anybody particularly in this time of social distancing uh, and some simple spiritual practices to help us be more uh, attuned with, uh, more attentive to ourselves, more attentive to one another, more attentive to God, which I think can be really valuable. Uh, the other thing that I'd love to just say is, you know, wait with me. It, it was such a joy to write. It's been such a, this whole process has been incredible joy. And my hope is that wait with me will help people who are aware of some, of, of some inner restlessness, uh, whether they call it, you know, social anxiety or, or depression or, or sadness or, or loneliness. Uh, my hope is that this book will give people courage to name their experiences loneliness and then the ability to use that disorienting circumstances to connect them to life with God. Uh, and to experience life with God, I, I believe to my toes that uh, the truest thing about every single person is that they are seen, known, and loved by God. Uh, and that's the truest thing about you. It's the truest thing about me. And uh, I think as we begin to know that and s- experience that, uh, we, can, we can develop genuine friendship with God which is liberating uh, and enables us to accept ourselves, uh, love ourselves, and love other people well. And so I hope that this book will be a gift to uh, those who are aware of their loneliness, that they'll be able to uh, develop a deeper friendship with God and uh, life with themselves and others.
0: Yeah. Um First, with regard to the um, spiritual practices document, I will put that in the show notes. And um, those can be accessed at my website at charlottedonlin.com and then pick, um, click on podcasts. And then you should be able to follow the prompts from there. Um, I will also include them in one of my Substack stack posts um, that you can access at charlottedonlin.com dot substack.com. Possibly that's the URL. I'm not sure. It's something like that. Um, and then with regard to your hopes for your book, I love that, um, that I think you've done it. I mean, when I read a book, one thing I think about is what was the author's purpose in writing? What was their goal? Did they, um, achieve that goal? And, you've definitely done that. <laughs> so, um I mean, at least in my opinion and from what I've gained from reading your book. So, um congratulations. I I love that you um are hoping for people to um connect more with God and um know more of God and and the presence of God and um I look forward to other people reading it and um experiencing that. As well, through your words and through your stories.
1: Well, thank you so much. That's really encouraging.
0: Um, okay, before we stop, um, when I have guests on Hope for the Lonely, I always conclude with these two questions. Um, first, what is one of your earliest memories of belonging? I think
1: my earliest memories of belonging. Had to do with. Um, I grew up in a small community, uh, in, in a. I grew up in a suburb of Springfield, Massachusetts, and um, on a cul-de-sac street with lots of little kids. And uh, growing up, we had across the street neighbors who, you know, there are lots of kids on the block, and there was a subset of us that um, would always sort of go out our doors and experience, uh, life in life and play and, and kind of life on the, on the, on the street together. Um, and, uh, we were, we were sort of constantly sort of in each other's spaces and yards and, uh, and on the street together. And I think that experience of growing up in a in a community where um where it it sort of it it sort of felt a little bit like like an extended family uh literally the cul-de-sac at the end of the road we used to set up kickball games and the whole neighborhood would be out until or the whole neighborhood kids would be out until whenever um uh, even if you were terrible at sports, which I was, uh, at the, those days, uh, it never occurred to me that I would, that it, it never occurred to me that I wouldn't, didn't belong yeah. in that community. And, um, so that, that's probably an early positive memory.
0: Yeah. yeah I love that. Um, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. I had a similar experience. Um, and it helps me remember that. So thank you. Um, and also the second question I ask every guest is what are three things that you're grateful for right now?
1: Yeah, I'm super grateful. This book is coming out, um, and it's coming out now And I just think it'll be really helpful to people who are, uh, in a season where people are asking this question right now. And I know you've got a book coming out too, in a few months, and I think this is a, a time, um, where people are going to be asking this question about being, uh, how do I engage with my loneliness? So I'm really grateful for that. I'm not grateful for the season we're in, uh, but I am grateful that this, this book is coming out. Um, Gosh, I, I work with some pretty amazing people. Uh, and, you know, in my, in my day-to-day life, I direct a ministry uh, to university students in the states of New York and New Jersey, uh, the states that have been hardest hit by the coronavirus in the United States. Um, and I've just seen these women and men um, love students and faculty in really inspiring ways um, and do it in a way that was healthy and admirable um, I'm really grateful for them. And, uh, I'm grateful for this time at home. I, you know, my daughters are probably not going to listen to this. So I will, (laughs) I will say what I, what I'm sure will embarrass them. But, uh, I, I have a 14 year old and a 16 year old and they are, Uh, enjoying it seems being home with us and i am enjoying having them at home and so it is i'm very aware that this season of life is um, headed towards a change in uh, just a handful of years and uh, the fact that we are uh, spending time in the evenings listening to books together and going for walks and um Just doing, involved in some rhythms, uh, daily rhythms together that are meaningful, fills me with great joy.
0: Yeah, I love that. Um, And I mean, that's definitely a silver lining that I think many people are noticing right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And not that we have to, um, you know, when we notice the silver linings, it doesn't mean that we are ignoring the, the hard parts and right. the dark clouds and the storms. Um, right. But yeah, it's good to be able to recognize both and hold both at the same time. Yeah. Well, thanks so much um, for sharing your answers to those two questions. And thanks again for being on this episode. Uh, again, I look forward to seeing um, how your book um, is received and read and how it ministers to people.
1: Thank you so much. It's my pleasure to be with you.
0: Thanks for listening to Hope for the Lonely. Learn more about my writing and work at charlottedonlin.com.